0: This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hello, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking with Dr. Adriana cabal Roselle. She's a public health microbiologist at the Austrian Agency for Health and Food Safety. We'll be discussing the use of a new surveillance system to track increased cases of Bordetella pertussis in Austria. Welcome, Dr. Rosell. Hi, thank you for inviting me.
1: This is a great pleasure for me to be able to
0: speak here with you. Well, we are very happy to have you. Um, Let's start with you telling us what Bordetella pertussis is. Yes, so that's a really simple question. Uh, Bordetella pertussis
1: is a gram-negative bacterium that is responsible for the highly contagious uh, respiratory disease known as pertussis.
0: Okay. So, we get vaccines for our dogs against Bordetella. Uh, How is Bordetella pertussis different from that, or or is it even?
1: Uh, Yes, you are right. We do get vaccines for our dogs against uh, Bordetella, but the dog's Bordetella belongs to the species, Bordetella bronchiseptica, which is not the same as the one that uh, produces disease in humans. The bordetella that's produced in humans is named as uh, bordetella pertussis.
0: I see. Okay, so where does the name whooping cough come from? You hear that a lot um, related to bordetella pertussis.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, So the term whooping cough uh, comes essentially from the sound that a person that suffers from pertussis disease makes when coughing. So not every person that has pertussis presents this characteristic feature Usually, these patients with uh, pertussis experience around the second week after the onset of the symptoms a fit of coughing, followed by a high-pitched whoop sound, and hence the name of whooping cough.
0: Your paper refers to pertussis as a re-emerging disease. What exactly does that mean? Well, I'm sure you know the the term of re-emerging and re emergence
1: So, re-emerging means, uh, as you know, Um, and can be, of course, applied to other diseases, not only to pertussis, Uh, it means that pertussis is reappearing again with increasing incidence rates, despite the high vaccination coverage, of course, in most of the countries. How is it spread? So pertussis spreads from person to person, meaning that an infected person can infect another when coughing or when sneezing, or even when spending a lot of time near one another by sharing breathing space.
0: Are household members more vulnerable to it uh, than, say, getting it from someone in line at the market?
1: Definitely, definitely. Uh, in order to get pertussis, we will need to spend much time near the infected case because in this way, you will be sharing the same space. If you are not vaccinated, then the chances of getting pertussis when sharing this uh, same space could increase up to 90%.
0: So it's not highly contagious like, say, measles, which you can get very, very easily. Exactly. Okay, so let's call it whooping cough. Whooping cough mostly affects children. Why is that? Uh, That would be because uh, children are one of the
1: risk groups for pertussis. Normally, the babies younger than three to six months of age are protected by vaccination. And because they are too young to be vaccinated, And then we have the teenagers that were previously vaccinated. In principle, they should get the vaccine, but uh, the immunity is waning, So the immunity has started to fit.
0: So therefore, they are considered also as a risk group. I see. Okay. Can you be asymptomatically infected, like with COVID? Yeah, for sure. And this is one of the big concerns of pertussis. There is evidence that
1: individuals that are vaccinated with a cellular uh, pertussis vaccine, which are commonly used in developed countries since uh, the middle 90s, can become asymptomatically infected and then transmit pertussis to susceptible individuals. Then this transmission goes unnoticed and it is really difficult to perform uh, contact tracing because you miss many links in the transmission chain.
0: We've heard a lot in the news recently about pathogens being able to mutate and evolve into different variants. Is this also the case with Bordetella pertussis?
1: Uh This is a really interesting question. So yes and no. Uh, The mutation rate of a virus is considerably higher than that of a bacterium, meaning that in this case, in our case, Bordelaportasis does not evolve that fast except uh, for the antigen genes that are used in the commercial vaccine. Um, And that is worrisome uh, because by generating new antigen variants, the circulating Bordelaportasis can escape vaccine immunity. So to put this in other words, those emerging antigenic variants, or here in our study, study, so-called genetic profiles, are different from the ones we see in the vaccine stream.
0: So you found that some of the isolates didn't have something called a protectin. What is protectin, and why is it important? So protectin
1: is a protein produced by Bortella pertussis and also other uh, species in the genera, but... Uh, Here in our case, we're talking about pertussis. So this is also an antigen of the acellular pertussis vaccine, which uh, is mainly used nowadays in developed countries, this, uh, sorry, this uh, acellular vaccine. So since uh, pertactin is an antigen, it is recognized by our body after vaccination with an acellular vaccine following antipertactin antibody that correlate with immune protection. However, what happens? that the negative part of this is that these antibodies are driving the emergence of Pertactin deficient strains that escape the immune response. So we can uh, here confidently say that there is um, a selective pressure for the pertussis to inactivate the Pertactin production.
0: Are these new strains any more transmissible or dangerous than other forms of protasis?
1: Okay, so uh, there, there is controversy regarding this issue, but we can say that uh, regarding transmissibility, the protecting negative strains are known to have a greater growth advantage, at least in vitro, than the uh, protecting, uh, protecting positive strains. So this would allow a high level of transmissibility between hosts, um, which would be consistent with increasing in the numbers of infections with PR, um protecting negative isolates, but also we should consider the age because transmission is dependent on age. And regarding the second part of your question regarding uh, pathogenicity, there is also increasing evidence of emergence of Boratella pertussis strains that carry uh, polymorphism. Uh, This is uh, polymorphisms are mutations. For instance, those mutations in the pertussis toxin promoter gene. That produce a greater amounts of pertussis toxin, and therefore they are able to produce more severe forms of the
0: disease. You touched on this a little bit already, but what's the problem with the vaccines? Why are they becoming ineffective? There's a growing segment of the population who are vaccine hesitant, uh, especially for their children. Has this helped allow pertussis to spread and create new variants? Okay,
1: so uh, to answer to your question, we must explain a bit the history. So the, the, tel- the cellular vaccines, the cellular pertussis vaccines, also called whole cell vaccines, were substituted in the late 90s, uh, at least here in, in Austria, in 1997, uh, if I'm not wrong, yeah, by the cellular vaccines because of the side effects. The whole cell vaccines uh, produced huge side effects. So the difference between both of these vaccines are that uh, the cell- a cellular ones do not contain the whole bacterium, but few antigens, and immunity induced by the vaccine wanes faster for the acellular vaccines. Another disadvantage of the acellular vaccine is that the antigens trigger, as I said before, I guess, uh, an immune response, and some like uh, the pertactin antigens experience frequent mutations uh, in their DNA sequence resulting in lack of pertactin production. So this is how the pertactin deficient strains infect humans, by escaping the immune response. And regarding the second question, um, the emergence and spread of new variants is due to vaccine pressure, not to vaccine hesitancy. So vaccine hesitancy can contribute, of course, to a general increase in the pertussis incidence or the vaccination coverage, for pertussis is still high, at least here in Austria, vaccine hesitancy, of course, plays a huge role in this increase of the incidence. And uh, with this, I will conclude uh, this question. We have to take, of course, into account that part of this increase in the pertussis incidence is not real. What I mean is that um, there is an increase in the awareness among the clinicians, so pertussis nowadays is more uh, more often diagnosed and reported, but also our surveillance systems and molecular methods are becoming more and more sensitive. So there is there are many other factors that can potentially contribute to this increase in the
0: incidence. So what alerted you in the first place that something was going on, that you started looking into this whole situation?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, like in any outbreak, uh, we were detecting like uh, in other developed countries an increase in the number of cases since 2015. But what this is, the, the alarm was the detection of an unusually high amount of cases via our case-based uh, surveillance system. And these, these um, unusually high amount of cases occur
0: in the same district.
1: So this is what pointed uh, uh, towards a possible outbreak. Uh,
0: and what was the goal of your study
1: so, for the first time in Austria, we wanted to establish an isolate-based surveillance system for pertussis. This was never done before. That could allow us uh, to do genomic surveillance of pertussis strains that were circulating in the country. And in this way, uh, we wanted to complement the information collected by our surveillance case-based system and following this objective objective, We wanted to investigate if this increase in the incidence corresponded or not to um, a specific genetic profile, maybe hypertactin deficient, in line to what has been already discovered in other countries.
0: So, your study analyzed isolates from 123 whooping cough patients in Austria during 2018 through 2020. Were these mostly children or adults, and were they vaccinated or unvaccinated? Um, So
1: it was quite an heterogeneous group, but most cases belong to the age groups between 1 and 15 years old, meaning the risk groups. But overall, less than half of the cases, so around 43% were vaccinated and 31% were unvaccinated. Unfortunately, as is always the case in this kind of studies, 25% of the cases um, had an immune status unknown, so vaccination status was unknown. And this is, of course, a limitation of the study that um, yeah, we cannot uh, conclude um, many other things that we would like to conclude with
0: this. How did you go about tracking these variants down? I believe you created a new type of surveillance system, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, we created an isolate-based surveillance system. As, as I said before, this isolate-based surveillance system was complementary to the case-based uh, surveillance system. In which all incoming isolates were whole genome sequenced. So, I mean, in the, the isolate basal system, were uh, whole genome sequenced. Their genetic relatedness was assessed with our new core MLST scheme that we developed back in 2018 when we started this project. And later on, in the latest stage, um, um, what we did was to extract uh, the antigen genes, so the sequences of the antigen genes from our whole genome sequencing data and compare it with, uh, with the circulating strains also in other countries, like in the U.S., U.K., et cetera, In order in order to detect what we call in our stu- study uh, genetic profiles.
0: In what way is your system uh, different from any other one in Austria?
1: Okay, so as I said before, uh, we have a pertussis case-based surveillance system in place, um, because pertussis is mandatorily reported in Austria, and this type of surveillance is based—it uh, was based before—on um, the electronic notifications from clinicians. So this surveillance, um, the case-based surveillance, um, does not need to isolate in principle because pertussis is usually diagnosed based on the symptoms and based on PCR confirmation. Of course, some laboratories uh, perform still um, perform serotyping and isolation, but that's less common. So this is one of the advantages of our surveillance system, our isolate-based surveillance system, um, allows us to to uh, to type these border burgdorferi isolates that are circulating among the uh, the population. Um, then another another well, our isolate-based surveillance system complements the case-based surveillance system. And its mission was, and still is, to track uh, the genetic variants that circulate in Austria in order to detect outbreaks that maybe, maybe could go unnoticed only with the case-based
0: epidemiological data. So how did you structure this study?
1: So the, the first thing we did was to set up uh, the isolation system. Um, by getting everybody on board. And this was not an easy task. Um, we first checked uh, with the laboratories that were interested in participating in the study uh, if, they, if they had the appropriated um, media to participate on um, pertussis and uh, to set this up. Um, we coordinated all the sample collection. Uh, we shipped um, suitable nasopharyngeal swabs, et etc. et um, afterwards, in the second part of the study, we generated our core genome MLST scheme because, as I said before, by then in the early 20, in the year 2018, early 2018, um, there was no core genome MLST available. Afterwards, um, we got to know that the Institute faster had developed another core genome MLST, but yeah, there wasn't any, and we typed our isolate. With this genome analysis that we created, and last, what we aimed to was to perform a genetic analysis on the recovered isolates to elucidate uh, which uh, genetic profile we had. Uh, give us the highlights
0: of your study now.
1: Sure. Um, so in our study, we describe a novel pertussis isolate based surveillance system in Austria, but also. Uh, the main novelty is that we generated this new core genome uh, MLST, Multilocal Sequence Scheme. And this was really successful for assessing the diversity of our telapertasis strains in Austria and also to investigate um, these genetic variants. Another highlight of our study was that uh, during these two years of the study, we obtained, mm, we, we can say, um, a big amount of telapertasis isolates. Uh, 123 isolates, and we tap them with the core MLST. And, yes, we, as I said before, we assess the genetic profiles. So this would be the the highlights of our study.
0: Okay, so tell us about your findings now. Anything different than you've, I mean, anything more than you've told us already?
1: Yeah. So, well, uh, as we expected, uh, all these 123 isolates um, from Austrian cases differ genetically from the vaccine strain. And I said expected because um, we were seeing in other countries that this was happening. So that's why we were expecting that they would differ from the vaccine strain. Um, they differed both in their core genomes, but also in their vaccine antigen genes. Um, it was really interesting to see that more than 30% of the isolates were pertactin deficient, which is in agreement with other findings in other countries. Um, in particular with those countries that introduced the cellular vaccine at the same time as Austria did, so um, by the year 1997. In addition, we detected eight core genome mlst based clusters when applying a preliminary cluster threshold of six alleles or less, and one of these clusters was perfect in and possibly part of a local outbreak in one of the districts in Austria, in the in the province of Salzburg so this is, this was one of the main findings
0: so you mentioned um vaccination status being unknown as one of the challenges of doing this study. Were there any others well uh as I said before, getting everybody on board
1: was quite uh, a task. <laughs> Because, uh, well, um, you have to take into account that not every laboratory is prepared or has the knowledge uh, to cultivate pertussis. Pertussis is not, difficult to, to be cultivated. You need specific na- media uh, expertise, and not all the pertussis-positive patients uh, have a positive culture afterwards. So this is one of the, of the challenges.
0: Uh, Let's go back to the vaccines for a minute here. Are they effective at all anymore? Okay, so this is a really interesting
1: question. Thank you. Um, So we cannot say right now that they are no longer effective, but what we can say is that there is evidence that indicates that vaccine efficacy for infection and transmission with peritactin-negative strains would be, according to recent mathematical modeling, as low as 6%. But for disease prevention, that's completely different to infection and transmission, especially prevention of serious symptoms in children, the efficacy of this vaccine is still high. So that's why vaccines are still recommended.
0: Okay, so people should still get vaccinated against it.
1: Definitely. Um, people should get vaccinated against whooping cough because cellular vaccines are effective at preventing diseases, as like I said before. And, of course, while we wait for improved vaccines that limit infection and transmission, we need to get vaccinated. And this is particularly relevant for the risk groups. Secondly, um, the efficacy of pertussis, uh, this pertussis vaccine against disease is higher than against infection, as I said before. So at least we need to protect these risk groups against disease.
0: Okay, so you mentioned just now um, waiting for new vaccines. Are there any new or updated vaccines in development? So this topic is under
1: discussion for already many years. Uh, I think there is a consensus that a new vaccine should be developed. And as far as I know, only one group in France, in collaboration with a biotech company in New York, is working on that. So um, I think it's a whole vaccine that tries to compensate in a way, the vaccine escape induced, um the, the, the vaccine escape induced by the r vaccine, and therefore um, it would aim at reducing the transmission. Last September, when I checked, um, they were already in phase one of the clinical trials, and it appears to be safe and effective. So I think this are good news, definitely.
0: What about people who've already had whooping cough? Can they get one of these new variants, and should they get vaccinated? So,
1: neither natural immunity due to previous infection nor vaccination provides lifelong protection, meaning that reinfections are not uncommon, and therefore vaccination is more than recommended in all age groups, also including adults. So, yes, you can get a new variant and still you get vaccinated.
0: Is there something that people, especially parents and grandparents of young children, should be concerned about?
1: Well, uh, pertussis, uh, maybe you know, it can be life-threatening in small children. So that's why, in particular, the risk groups should be vaccinated. So these are usually infants between 1 and 4 years old and kids at school age. However, um, it is also recommended for pregnant women and adults, adults also to receive some boosters. So, yes, uh, my concern would be that, yes, we have to get our children vaccinated. Otherwise, uh,
0: this can pose serious problems. Okay, I just want to be clear here. Did you say it's not recommended for pregnant women?
1: No, it is. Sorry, it is, it is recommended for pregnant women also. And also, uh, adults also. But this varies between countries. So, um, for instance, here it's recommended to vaccinate adults. Um, but in other countries, I know that this is not uh, in
0: place. What can we do to protect ourselves against this disease besides vaccines?
1: So, besides vaccines, that are the first line. Uh, Of course, you can apply general hygiene measures like for COVID, reduce your contacts, etc., wash your hands frequently, you know, exactly like for COVID, but it's also urban.
0: How will your isolate based surveillance system for pertussis in Austria be helpful?
1: So, mostly our work uh, adds knowledge again, again uh, about the circulating or uh, genetic profiles and will facilitate, in case of an outbreak, rapid identification of new strains. Also, because we have developed this core genome MLST scheme. And of course, because uh, we can compare internationally nowadays with core genome and other tools these, these strains once we have uh, sequence data.
0: Uh, and as you just said, um, other countries. So your study was based in Austria. So what implications does it have for other countries?
1: Mm, so this, this question is uh, in line with the previous one. So uh, yes, definitely. Uh, for genomic surveillance at a global scale, uh, our study has an impact. We have seen that our genetic profile and also in general our strains, uh, the genome of our strains, resemble those currently circulating in other countries. And moreover, uh, our core genome MLSC scheme has been applied success, uh, successfully um, also to other strains that they were not coming from Austria. So um, definitely uh, our core genome MLSC and in general our, our study can be an example for the future for other studies based on genomic surveillance and can be also applied for other strains.
0: And along with that same theme, um, what do you see um, that needs to be done in the future in the way of more studies or more action?
1: So apart apart from developing new vaccines that protect uh, against infection, not only uh, against disease, genomic surveillance is a must. So we need to standardize our methods in order to be comparable between laboratories, especially uh, in the pertasis case. Um, this is important. So we have right now sleep analysis, core genome MLST, uh, whole genome MLST. They are really, really helpful in assessing genetic relatedness of pertussis. But, of course, we need to gather complete epi data and also to study this genome uh, re- rearrangement in the pertussis uh, strain to further differentiate isolates that may seem genetically the same but they are actually not related geographically and
0: time-wise. It's been a little more than a year since the start of COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Since last March, um, flu season pretty much didn't happen this year. Um, Have cases of whooping cough gone down also at all because of interventions like mask wearing, hand washing and social distancing?
1: Definitely. definitely, They have definitely gone much lower, and the same applies to the respiratory diseases such as seasonal influenza. This is definitely due to the containment
0: measures. And since the cases have gone down, will that help slow the spread of these new variants and strains?
1: Um, my opinion is that it can be slowed down, um, but as soon as we go back to our normal, normal lives, we will be seeing again an increase in the incidence. However, this might not be a constant increase, but in form of epidemics that might last two years, and then we see a decrease in the number of cases and then an increase, etc. It's like a, exactly the case of the U.S., that you had an epidemic in 2010 that last till 2012, and then again in 2015.
0: Tell us about your work and what you like most about your job.
1: Well, uh, so uh, I'm a postdoc researcher and I work as a public health microbiologist in in Agnes, the Austrian Agency of of Health and Food Safety. And, well, I can say that I am a bit of a multitasker, so I do outbreak investigation and surveillance of communicable diseases, mainly using bioinformatic tools. And I am also involved uh, in a One Health project uh, that basically aims uh, at... um, assessing antimicrobial-resistant genes in environmental sources, so I do a bit of everything. (laughs) And, well, I'm really passionate about my job. It's uh, it's really challenging, but uh, it's quite diverse.
0: And what do you like to do in your free time, if you have any, of course? Do you stream shows, and what shows do you like, and what do you like to munch on while you're watching them? Well, right now,
1: (laughs) we have no free time. (laughs) My free time consists now on laying on the sofa and watching Netflix while eating popcorn. <laughs> but of course before COVID I used to travel a lot. So I'm really eager to to have this uh what's it called? International Green Pass for COVID since I have recently got uh, my vaccination and uh, yes, I'm looking forward to this international pass ah. so that I can be already traveling. <laughs>
0: I think that's an EU pass. I don't think we have that here or in Canada. Um, uh, yeah, so what Netflix show is your favorite?
1: My current show, well, I all kind of thrillers I like, <laughs> basically. I'm not like a huge fan of reality shows, though, so mostly like series and what, so like Stranger Things,
0: for sure. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Dr. Cabal.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. It was really nice. Thank you. And have a
0: good day. You too. And thanks for joining me out there. You can read the March 2021 article, Isolate-Based Surveillance of Bordetella Pertussis, Austria, 2018-2020, online at cdc.gov eid. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.